Hello and welcome to the Raw podcast brought to you by the Sunderland Echo. My name is Joe Nicholson and I'm joined by my fellow Sunderland writer James Copley for our regular Monday podcast. Of course, we're going to be looking back on Friday's 1-0 defeat against Hull City at the Stadium of Light, the backlash towards head coach Michael Beale, which followed after the game and also the latest transfer news with just under two weeks of the window remaining. James, it's been a few days now since that game against Hull and it felt like a really damaging night for Sunderland, all the frustration that we've kind of seen in recent weeks, the debacle around the Newcastle game with the Black Cats bar, the decision to sack Tony Mowbray, not being able to sign a striker so far this month. It all kind of seemed to come to a head on Friday night and those chants against Michael Beale chanting, you're getting sacked in the morning from the Sunderland fans. So just how damaging a night do you think it was looking back now a few days on and how damaging do you think it's going to be now moving forward for the rest of the season? Uh, I think it'll be, uh, yeah, it's it's damaging for him. I know wise men say the Sunderland fan podcast ran a poll and I think it was 91% of Sunderland fans wanted Michael Beale sacked. Uh, that's after seven games, 3,000 people voted in that poll. There was also the bailout hashtag, which was trending quite high up the charts last night on Twitter. So there's clearly some pretty strong feelings there. Is it fair after seven games? I think from an outsider's perspective, you would look in and, and say that he hasn't been given enough time. But I think Sunderland have regressed pretty starkly in that, that time, in those seven games. We shouldn't rewrite history. Maybe Sunderland were under... Well, on the slide under Tony Mowbray, you know, he, he wasn't exactly doing well, but had he earned the right to maybe get through to the rest of the season or get through another January transfer window, probably for me. Um, again, let's not rewrite history and say that every Sunderland fan wanted Tony Mowbray to stay because there was a significant portion that wanted Tony Mowbray gone. But when Tony Mowbray went, I think there was an acceptance that Sunderland were going to try and advance the club with a young bright head coach somebody exciting a potential unknown and it's you know it's been well reported that they had flirtations with will still but they wouldn't pay the compensa compensation fee so Sunderland have gone and done what they've done the last two times the managerial vacancy has been vacant and they've gone with what they they say is the best candidates in the free agent market and that just comes that helps sort of strengthen the the narrative that you know Sunderland are doing things on the cheap, all of that sort of thing that they're not willing to spend money. You know, Michael Beale comes from a big club in Rangers, having not set the world alight. You know, and Sunderland fans aren't daft. People say about his his win percentage at Rangers. There's two things matter at Rangers, and that's winning trophies and beating Celtic. And unfortunately, he couldn't do either. Um, it didn't help that he got beat four 0 in his first game against Coventry. There was chance for Tony Mowbray during that game. Um, and you know the the form hasn't been good. It's been patchy. The Newcastle United game, the debacle around that, I think is contributing to the bad mood. But in terms of Michael Beale, take that game in isolation. Sunderland didn't really offer much. We expected, hopefully, they could be in the game for a bit longer. They were expected to lose, but sort of tactically, we're not seeing what we thought we were going to from Michael Beale. You know, Christian Speakman in that first press conference said it was some of the best training sessions he's ever seen, and I've no doubt that he's a, a good. He is a good coach and he's good on the training field. You know, he's of Liverpool and Chelsea stock. But his best work so far, really, in football has come as a number two. 
he had a, a brief period as a number one with with QPR and he was doing okay there, although they the did start to slide. So I, I can understand Sunderland fans' frustration. I think it's two big games coming up now against Stoke and Middlesbrough. Uh, but yeah, th- those those chants were, were very damaging. Um, you know, and that game as well, you were just watching it and you just knew Sunderland weren't going to do anything. Yes, they had possession. Yes, they had more shots than, than Hull City. But you, you could just tell a mile off that, that it was never... They were never going to get anything out of that game, really, despite it being fairly even for for large parts of it. You just got the impression, really, that if anybody was going to score, it was it was going to be Hull City. Um, and of course, Michael Beale addressed those chants towards him after the game and and mentioned that Sunderland fans should get behind the team, which has gone down pretty badly because Sunderland fans mm. always tend to get behind the team. And and actually, those chants weren't directed at the team; they were directed at Michael Beale. I do feel sorry for him in in some respects. He he is human. Um, he's had a tough start to life of his, his Sunderland career, but uh, it, it's going to be very, very, very tough for him to to bounce back. And when there is this strength of feeling towards a manager, it never really equates to long term success. The two that spring to my mind are Phil Parkinson. Um, he did badly at the start, but then he did okay, and then he was he was eventually sacked. Um, Lee Johnson, no, not Lee Johnson. Sorry, Simon Grayson. That didn't go too well. I think it's very hard to recover once these things have happened. And uh, you know, I, I hope he does recover, and I hope Sunderland beat Stoke, and I hope Sunderland beat Middlesbrough. But it, it's hard to see at the moment. But stranger things have happened, of course. I think the thing is, Joe, that Michael Bale's on a two and a half year contract, so mm-hmm. it's uh, it's uh, an interesting situ- situation from a club point of view as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you mentioned there, some of the former managers and and you do kind of get an impression when it's going to be very hard for the managers to come back and it felt like on Friday night there was it was going to, it's going to be very difficult for Michael Beale to to come back from that. And as, as I mentioned at the start, I think it's a factor of things that have led to this frustration with the whole thing around the Newcastle game, with the lack of signings, with the fact that Tony Mowbray was sacked and not, not everyone agreed with that decision. So Michael Beale came in and he, he almost wasn't at neutral. He was, you know, he had something to prove already. Man, yeah. So... Yeah, and we are only seven games in and it does seem harsh for these chances to be happening. But if you look at the kind of performances in recent weeks, um, I've spoke to some of the players in recent weeks. I spoke to, to Dan Neal after the Ipswich game and asked what kind of changes have we seen under Michael Beale. And he said there's been a lot more focus out of possession or more focus out of possession than in possession compared to, to Tony Mowbray. I then put that to, to Luke O'Neill at the weekend after... The game against Hull on Friday and he kind of said something similar and if you look at the stats Sunderland are creating less chances under Beal you look at their xg in the last few games the whole game their xg was 0.77 the Ipswich game 0.48 the Preston game which they won 2-0 0.94 um, and Sunderland's xg on average has been around 1.68 so that includes the games that Tony Mowbray was in charge now of course there were some games where Similar to Friday night under Mowbray, remember the Huddersfield game where they lost 1-0 at the Stadium of Light, the Cardiff game similar. So it wasn't all completely clicking under Mowbray, but it does seem like under Beale, there's been this more pragmatic approach, but it's not getting the results which they'd have hoped for, which kind of goes against the, the kind of structure that Sunderland were, have been talking about, the hierarchy that we have a style of play. If one head coach leaves, we'll bring in another head coach that has a similar style of play. And it seems like under Beale there's kind of been a bit more of a pragmatic approach and it's also not been getting results, which is, which has been costly in the last few weeks. It's definitely more pragmatic, but the thing is, if if you're going to be, 
I think the thing with the Sunderland fans is, is if you're going to be knocking on the playoffs, if you're going to be around sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth place, then you may as well play some exciting football. It does count for a lot stylistically. Fans pay a lot of money. Um, you know, I, I understand it's nice to get clean sheets. <laughs> Go back to Sam Allardyce, always respect the point, all that sort of stuff. You do need to be defensively sound. I'm all for, um, you know, without the ball, out of possession work. It is important, but watching Sunderland is a, is a tough sell at the moment. But I think, obviously, a lot of a lot of the responsibility has fallen on Michael Bale's shoulders, and rightly so to a degree because Sunderland have regressed. It's 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 clear the numbers the numbers bear it out, and all the numbers that you mentioned in terms of xG, and also just the general eye test. You can see they're not as good, they're not as exciting. There's there's something missing. But you do also have to look at Michael Beale's squad. Those shortcomings in that squad have been there. Should he be doing better? Yes. But that squad needs a refresh and it needs some added quality. It needs some added experience. It needs a centre midfielder who can play as a six to add tactical variety. Um, it needs a goal scorer. You know, you could argue it needs somebody with a bit of stardust like a mad as well. There's a lot at play at Sunderland. And I think he is copping a little bit of flack. Not that people are blaming him for the Newcastle United debacle in terms of the off-field matters. But it's almost like a perfect storm, Joe, isn't it? As you mentioned, mm -hmm. all of that stuff, he's sort of not guilty by association because none of it's his fault. None of that's even Christian Speakman's fault. But when you've got the team not performing on the pitch, that falls at Michael Beale's door. You've got a squad that needs a refresh, which falls at Christian Speakman's door. And you've got a Newcastle United ticket and debacle and a commercial shambles at the club, which falls at ownership and you know the the chief operating officer so you do have that sort of triumvirate perfect storm and it's all contributing towards a backlash and rightly so i would say i think there's many facets to it not necessarily all of it is michael bale's fault but the bit that he can affect the bit on the pitch he's not doing good enough and mm. you, you have to say christian speakman again um, this is a conversation for another podcast, but Christian Speakman, I think, by and large, has done very well at Sunderland. And I think where Sunderland have fallen down has been the last window. Some of these players that he's brought in clearly weren't ready to contribute immediately. They may well become good players for Sunderland, some of them. In fact, I've got no doubt some of them will, but it just we just haven't hit the ground running in, in terms of signings. The parameters have gone too much towards you know youth and inexperience, where, where really, you know, getting rid of Gooch and getting rid of Danny Barr. I think they could have contributed. I think their experience mm -hmm. would have been invaluable in some of these games. People might disagree with that. That's fine. Um, you know, leaders off on and off the pitch, I think, is, is really important with a young group. So there's all that at play as well. And, yeah, Michael Beale's copping most of the flack for it at the moment, but there's a fair amount for, for Kira Louis-Dreyfus and a fair amount of Chris, for Christian Speakman as well. And even looking at Christian Speakman, he's limited in what he can do in the transfer market because Kira Louis-Dreyfus sets the budgets because it's his club. So it's a, a very interesting situation at Sunderland at the moment. And of course, we're all waiting for that red and white army minutes to get a little bit more clarity yeah. on off-field matters. So it, it's just incredible, Joe. We've obviously covered this club for a long time and the pace at which it can all turn south which mm. has been a couple of months is incredible really mm -hmm. well we'll come on to transfers later in the, in the podcast we'll just talk about as you said what michael beale can control the decisions that he made before friday's game he recalled nazia rusin up front after he'd dropped to the bench for the ipswich game abdullah bar dropped out of the side and also agilisi was unavailable so we've got to kind of factor in that there has been some 
some injuries for Sunderland. At least they've been unavailable. Sirkin unavailable and Huggins has left a big gap at left back where Humes had to move across. And then Jensen Seal came in at right back. Also, Patrick Roberts has been a big loss as well, which it felt on Friday night with Pritchard going out to the right-hand side, Seal coming in at right back. It was very much reliant on Jack Clark on the other side. Um, it was very narrow. There was not a lot of width in the side and that kind of made it easy for or easier for Hull to kind of keep Sunderland's at arm's length. But but what did you kind of make of the decisions that Beale made on Friday? Dropping Barr as well, who I thought had a decent game at Ipswich. Um, bringing Roosin back into the side. It seems like he's chopping and changing a bit, which doesn't seem to kind of be helping the, the kind of flow of the team. I think starting him on the right, it does provide problems because he drifts inside so much. He, start, he starts playing as a number 10 a little bit more. Um Rusin's been in and out of the side. It is very difficult tactically. I actually thought against Hull City, Pritchard drifting in offered sealed a lot of purchase on the right-hand side. He was a lot of space, but he's not an attacking right-back, so it's very, very difficult for him to sort of affect the game. So it's a struggle tactically, but then again, does he really have the players on the bench to change it who are sort of oven-ready to come in and affect the game? So tough sell. Again, it's it's tough to watch Sunderland at the moment. Tactically, it's it's not really... Work and I think we all thought Michael Beale would be a bit more pragmatic, and perhaps he is. But I think we all thought he might be able to get a tune out of this Sunderland side uh, tactically, and we might win a few more marginal games. But it's actually gone the other way, which is um, which is interesting. So yeah, it's tough. He, but he, again, he needs help in January. He really, really does need some help in January, as Tony Mowbray would have would have needed help in January. So it's like the chicken and the egg at the moment. Saying that, he should definitely be doing better with with the tools at his disposal, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Well, we'll come on to January now then. Sunderland have kind of made it clear and Beale's kind of said in press conferences over the past few weeks that a striker is kind of the priority and it seems like Sunderland are maybe prepared to alter their approach to bring in a striker that's maybe a bit older, a bit more experienced and, and that can come in and, and be the here and now and, and affects things immediately rather than being someone that's ready in two, three years' time as they kind of look to do in the summer. So... The striker seems to be the priority, as you mentioned earlier in the podcast, central midfield. We've said for, for I don't know how many transfer windows at Sunderland seem light in centre midfield and have lacked that kind of number six to kind of come in, especially when Corey Evans picked up his injury now a year ago. And it also seems like they're short at left back, given the injuries to Sirkin, to Huggins, Hume's having to move across and they're having to, to move Seal across and out of position. So there's three positions straight away that you feel that Sunderland probably need to strengthen in January. And I'm not sure they're going to... Do you think they're going to bring in three players um, before now and, and the end of the window on the 1st of February? Uh, it doesn't look likely at the moment, does it? Uh, obviously, the transfer window's incredibly slow, I think, for everybody, Championship, Premier League included. We're sort of all waiting for those first few dominoes to start. And then, you know, hopefully stuff will progress. Sunderland will be linked with a, a fair few players. I think the problem with Sunderland have is that everybody knows what, what they need and what they want. Everybody knows that they need a striker. Everybody knows that they probably need a centre midfielder. In January, you have to pay a premium to get players, especially experienced players, especially players that are going to be able to come in and make an impact. So Christian Speakman's got a job on his hands to negate that. Kirillou Dreyfus might need to put his hand in his pocket. Will he do that? I don't know. Will they break with a model? And there's a lot of talk about breaking with a model. I don't think it needs scrapping by any means. I think that for large parts of it, it's been good. It just needs the parameters adjusting a little bit. And I think that's part of life. You have to be, you know, we're talking about pragmatism, but you, you do have to change a little bit as well. You, just because something's worked well for 
a year, six months, just because it's got you out of League One. You know, it doesn't mean you have to rigidly stick to that. You can make subtle little tweaks here and there to improve things. There can be some flexibility. Nobody's saying let's scrap all the good work that's been done at the academy. Nobody's saying let's stop playing young players. Nobody's saying let's not try and pick up Dennis Sergan or try and pick up Agiolisi or Niall Huggins or Trey Hume or the Ross Stewarts of this world, people like that. Nobody's saying let's not use the loan market smartly. All people are saying is could we just add some experience and a striker here and, and a fully fleshed out squad? We've sort of been through this first phase and I think, you know, it, it is time for it to be moved up a level possibly. You know, is this a transition season that wasn't really presented to us as such at the, at the beginning of the season? And if it was a transition season, then why sack Tony Mowbray? Because he was doing a reasonable job. So it's, it's yeah, it's a weird one. This is now Sunderland's longest time spent outside the top division in its entire history. So you can understand why Sunderland fans would prefer the club to get there. That's not arrogance. That's just Sunderland fans wanting the best for their club. You know, they want to compete at the top end of the championship. They want to, you know, try and get to the Premier League. That should be the aim of, of every championship team with ambition, which is what Kirillou Dreyfus has said Sunderland have now is ambition. So I think for me, as I say, Michael Beale, Michael Beale needs help. Nobody's saying go out and, and break the bank. I don't think anybody's saying that either. But I think this strategy do needs to be does need to be moved along a little bit. And you know, there's there's Ross Stewart money sat there as well. There's gonna be Clark money at some point. Again, nobody's saying break the bank on wages either, but can they do something in January? Yes, it's notoriously hard. But, you know, can we go and get a Kiefer Moore, you know, really lay a marker down and, and try and get something? And there's lots to consider with transfers. Is Kiefer Moore the right fit for Sunderland on and off the field as well? I do think that's important. Um, but, yeah, it's it's been a, a pretty dull January so far. And unluckily for us as Phil mentioned last week it's probably all going to come down to deadline day and we're probably going to be scrambling around for a lot of a lot of last minute things as will other clubs as well and that's just sort of the way it goes mm. as you mentioned there I think the transfer approach in previous windows has been very admirable and some have made some excellent signings you look at people like Tri Hume like Dennis Serkin like Adjulisi that they've the Pierre Equire that they've picked up from for very low fees and and other clubs didn't want these players and Sunderland have, have done well to bring them in and they've proved to be very good signings, but I think last season they kind of had almost like a perfect balance, didn't they? With like your experienced players in there with your Danny Bart, with your Lyndon Gooch, Corey Evans was obviously there in the first half of the season. And it seemed there was a good balance between the experienced players and the younger players coming through. Whereas now it seems to have gone very far the other way to towards the younger players. Some have allowed people like Bart, like Gooch, people that were very influential in the dressing room to move on. And it, it now feels like when the team are going through a tough period, who's going to be the, the ones to kind of step up and and really take take the teams through that? I mean, we get to player after every game and we got Luke O'Neill on on Friday after the whole game and you really didn't see who else it was going to be. It could have been mm. kind of the club put a player up after every game. And last week it was Dan Neal, who's a very good talker and I think a very good, is a, is a, is a leader in the team at still a very young age. You forget how young, he kind of is the, the way he talks and how well he speaks, but it's kind of you knew it was going to be Dan Neal or, or Luke O'Neill coming yeah, out to yeah, face yeah, the press yeah. because they couldn't put anyone else, they couldn't put up one of the, the younger players. But in terms of other players coming in, um, Sonnen have been linked with Jan and Via. Um, he Phil, our colleague, asked Michael Deal about him after the game on Friday and he kind of dismissed those rumors, <laughs> so um, doesn't look like maybe that one's going to happen, but. 
where else do you think Sunderland do need to bring players in? We've mentioned centre midfield, we've mentioned left back, mentioned up front. What should be now the priority? If Sunderland could bring in one or two players to this squad, what do you who would you like to come in and and where do you think needs addressing the most? I think position wise you've you've nailed it. Perhaps some cover for the left and right back spot. If I'm being greedy, a defender in the Danny Bath ilk. Um I thought letting him go was was yeah, was was a strange decision at the time, and I think it's proved to be so. I know Sunderland want to play out from the back, and Luke O'Nine's numbers in terms of playing the ball out from the back are actually quite good. So I do get that argument. But as as you actually mentioned, Joe, rather than positions which I think are obvious, I think for me it's about experience and know-how. Just in life generally, we say look looking back to when we got our jobs at the Echo. Obviously, you were you were six months in before me, but if you'd have just sort of catapulted us into those roles. And we didn't have, you know, the guidance of the lads that had been there for a couple of years or our bosses. Like, we wouldn't have known what to do. You know, you don't sort of learn your trade instantly. It does take time. And you do you do learn by looking at other people as well and, and people telling you, no, you need to do this. It's, it's about experience. As I say, I don't think anybody is suggesting that we just scrap, you know, having young players at the club because they've provided us with some absolutely amazing stories. Um but we, yeah, it's just missing. It is missing that experience at the moment, and that's what I'd like to see rectified. And it's just a shame, really, because you know, progress for progress' sake sometimes means you don't progress at all. And I think that's what actually happened in the summer with Gooch and Bath. I know fans can argue about Gooch's impact at Stoke and Bath's in, uh, impact at Norwich, but when there were Sunderland players, they contributed and they did well for us. Particularly Gooch having the know-how and passion of somebody who's been at the club for so long. Um, did contribute on the pitch as well, was versatile. And just somebody who can say, well, this is what it means to play for Sutherland. I think that's really important. Obviously, you have that with O'Neill and Patterson and Neil to a degree, but you definitely had that with Gooch, who had seen it all. He'd, he'd played in the Premier League for Sutherland, Championship League One. Um, so I think keeping him around for a little bit longer would have helped. Would he have stayed? Would Sutherland have offered him a, a long-term deal? Probably not. Um, so there's all that to consider as well. But it's just a shame for me that we actually had a couple of these players that we actually require now and, and, and they've gone. So anybody you bring in has to hit the ground running. They don't really have the opportunity of having six months to get reacquainted um, and, and learn about playing for Sunderland. So, yeah, tough. Mm. Yeah, I think it's just about losing players like Gooch and Bath. You know, they obviously weren't going to be regular first-team players and Sunderland have kind of had the policy in the last few years if if you're not going to be a first team, we are going to let you go and pursue other opportunities. It is interesting that though, because if you have Danny Bart in the squad, does that mean that when required, when you play in a big team, that you can have Barth in there, you can shift Luke or Knight to fullback, maybe some, mm. some Sunderland fans would like him in field. Gooch gives you a similar option, could play right centre-back with the injuries to Huggins and Sergan. Well, Gooch, Gooch would have played on Friday, wouldn't he? If, uh... Uh, absolutely, absolutely. It would, have, it would have afforded that a little bit more tactical flexibility it might mean that Jensen Seald could have played at centre-back at some point in his, his Sunderland career as well because now he's playing right back out of position so there's all that to consider as well uh, and as I say these aren't majorly horrendous decisions and I can actually see the logic behind them obviously Danny Bath was getting on a bit Lyndon Gooch had been at the club for a long time um, did they want to commit to a long-term deal I do understand all these arguments but on the flip side you do have to be you do have to be careful what you wish for. And I think that's actually true with Tony Mowbray as well. Sometimes you don't actually realise and understand what you've got until it's gone. Mm -hmm. We are recording this on Facebook Live and just getting a few comments as well. Um, one thing we haven't touched on yet, Alex Pritchard's contract mm -hmm. and transfer rumours. There's been a few 
links in kind of the last few days and weeks. Um, reports of Birmingham are interested. There's also reportedly interest from abroad. And as we've said before, Sunderland were very prepared to let Pritchard go last summer. Um, Tony Mowbray said that in press conferences and he was expected to leave the club. Um, didn't start many games at the start of this season, but he has come in in recent weeks and he's been a key player for Sunderland. What do you see now with him? Because if Sunderland were to let him go, they would need to replace him. He's another experienced player. He's, he's 30, probably the oldest player playing regularly now in the squad. And I think if Pritchard was to go as well, that's another vocal member of the dressing room going out of the squad. Um, so if he did leave in January, I think the club would need to, re to replace him. doesn't sound like there's any indication of him getting offered a new contract before next summer, before this summer coming up even, when he would be free to to leave the club. So what do you kind of his make of his situation as things stand at the minute? Yeah, I think you have to be careful what you what you wish for again when it comes to players like Pritchard, a great servant for Sunderland, joined us in League One, helped us get promoted. You know, he's a one of the only players in the squad. I think possibly maybe the only player in the squad with a bit of Premier League experience as well. Comes with mm -hmm. great pedigree. Um, obviously, was bought for a lot of money. Yes, during his time at Sunderland, he, he has been in and out of the squad um, or in and out of the first team. Um, at times, he's been a little inconsistent, but I think. Generally, I think Sunderland fans would agree that he's, he's for the most part, contributed quite well in terms of goals and assists, always tries to do something. Uh, I think he set standards. I remember, actually, the, there was a game when we were in League One. I think we drew with Wickham. Was it 3-3? Yeah, at Wickham. Pritchard was fuming, absolutely fuming that Sunderland had thrown that game away. It was under Johnson, as, as or was it under Neil? I can't remember which one it was. That was, Johnson. Johnson. That was under Johnson. Yeah, it was yeah. a, a Johnson game. And, you know, he was absolutely fuming that day and, and, and really upset. And he does drive standards, experienced professional, very good person to have around the, the dressing room. And he contributes on the field. But this is a whole, this, this, this situation's of Sunderland's design, really. I, I can't see him signing a new deal. Apparently, contract talks haven't even opened yet. So I think they're just going to have to take the medicine with this one and accept that they're going to they're going to come in for a little bit of flack. Obviously, Clark, uh, sorry, Pritchard's going to be playing for his next club now, isn't he? Really, he's going to be putting himself in the shop window. There's going to be interest. I think what's really interesting in the minds of fans as well is that Tony Mowbray wasn't playing Pritchard, and now suddenly, suddenly, uh, Tony Mowbray's gone to Birmingham, yeah. and now he wants Alex Pritchard at Birmingham. So that, I think tells you sort of where Tony Mowbray was at with Alex Pritchard and he made some interesting comments about, you know, team selection and, and not feeling that he could play Alex Neal as much as he would like to, uh, Alex Pritchard as much as he would like to. So there's all of that in the minds of fans as well. Personally, I think he should have been offered a new deal in the summer uh, and I think he's probably going to leave on a free transfer mm. in this in next summer. I can't, I can't see him leaving in January. I think it would be foolish to leave him in January. Yeah. As, as you say, Joe, unless Sunderland got a good replacement. But then again, you do have to bed in that new... You've got to have an experienced player who knows the club, who's up to speed, leaving, and then potentially somebody who isn't ready to start games, depending on who it is, come in. Uh, and that could cause problems as well. So, yeah, it's a... Yeah, the January transfer window. It's, mm. it's fraught with complications. I think there's just too many areas that need addressing to let someone like Alex Pritchard go. And, and similar with Jack Clark, obviously there's pre there's Premier League interest um, in him. But as we've mentioned before, Sonnen probably need a left back. They probably need a centre midfielder, probably need a striker. 
if you take Alex Pritchard out or one of the attacking players, then you need another creative player or another winger. And it just seems, um, yeah, I think it would be, wouldn't make sense to sell someone like Alex Pritchard in January without a replacement lined up. And just a few comments that you've put on the screen there. Um, one comment saying Chris Riggs should be given a chance in the last 10 minutes, as we've mentioned before, Sutherland do lack options in centre midfield as well. And there's been a lot of kind of responsibility on Dan Neal and Pierre Equa this season. Another comment saying, um, should Jewison Bennett get a chance? A player that we've hardly seen this season in the first team. Um, and now Patrick Roberts out injured and Barr seems to be the preference there or Pritchard playing out on the right. Do you think some of these younger players should have been given a chance? Of course, we don't see them day in, day out in training. But um, Chris Rigg, remember, is only still 16. So he's still incredibly young, but he has kind of held his own when he has been given little cameos in the first team. Michael Beale spoken a, a few times about maybe letting some of the younger players leave alone. He's mentioned Hamir and, and Bennett as well, was mentioned when Mike Dodds was in charge. So are there any of these fringe players, younger players that you think deserve to have been given more of a chance? I think with Chris Rigg, we'll just tackle that first. I think it's a really interesting case because he is so highly rated and Sunderland fought so hard to keep him. Mm. And it was, seen, it was seen as such a good thing that Sunderland had kept Chris Rigg, and rightly so youngest ever outfield player for Sunderland as a 15-year-old, played against Premier League Fulham, didn't look out of place last season. You know, this season, maybe fans are expecting Chris Rigg to to kick on a little bit. It is worth noting he's only 16 and mm. he scored against Crew Alexander, Sunderland's youngest ever goal scorer. Uh, scored against Southampton. I think he's played 10, 8 or 10 times this season. For it can Sunderland. be very different, though, can't it? Starting a game compared to coming well, off for yeah, like 20 this, minutes. This is it. And I, and I think because we've been told so much about Chris Riggan, we've seen glimpses of how good he can be. There is a little bit of a clamour for him. And understandably so, when Sunderland's team isn't sort of functioning well, you want that little bit of stardust, that little bit of fearlessness that he would undoubtedly bring. But it is worth noting that he is 16. You don't want to throw him to the Wolves. Um, he's had that first-team experience. He's dropped out a little bit. He's playing for the under-18s in the Youth Cup. He's playing for the under-21s as well. By all accounts, he's completely tenacious in training when he's with the 18s and 21s and in, and in those games with the 18s and 21s, still training with Sunderland's first team as well. So second half of the season, when the stakes are a little bit less perhaps with Sunderland, I don't know, you would you would hope that he'd, he'd get played a little bit more. He's probably, you know, let's... Let's not forget either that he stayed at Sunderland probably to play games for the first team as well. That's the allure mm. that he's going to get looked after. So at some point, he is going to have to play more games. Otherwise, I think the player will get frustrated. Um, but you do have to be careful. You don't want to throw him in. You don't want to hang him out to dry. You don't want to bring him into an environment where the team's really struggling and then his confidence is crushed. As you say, it's very different coming on for the last 10, 15 minutes to start in games in the championship. Um, in regards to some of the other players, you know, Jefferson Bennett doesn't, Seem to have had much luck for Sunderland. He got that uh, assist for Chris Riggs' goal mm. against Southampton when he came on, looked very good, but then he struggled with injuries, illness. Um, he's in the 21s, he's out the 21s. He was in the squad a couple of weeks ago, now he's dropped out the squad again, back in, back out. I think he's probably massively frustrated. It's a tough environment to come into as a youngster who doesn't speak the language. Does he need a loan? He probably needs to play regularly. The noises coming out of his camp suggest he would prefer a loan. It's very hard for him to get in over Jack Clark anyway. We have to note yeah. that because Jack Clark's so good that he plays 90 minutes um, unless someone's a three or four and up, which is unlikely at the moment. 
But then if Jack Clark gets injured, then you know who comes in for him, God forbid. Yeah. So these are all little transfer decisions that Sunderland uh, are facing. Hemia, I thought, actually looked quite good when he came on against Hull in his brief cameo. He looks like he's he's dropped a few pounds. He looked a bit more mobile. Um and he put he did put himself about a little bit as well. So that's an interesting one. What's going to happen with him and Myenda? You know, uh, there's there's little well, things. Beal said Myenda's probably going to stick around, isn't he? Well, Mayenda's yeah, I, I was. Hermia's open to a loan. I was just about to mention that in a sense that I think Sunderland fans are struggling with those comments because Myenda scored two for the under twenty ones. Mm. Doesn't make the match day squad, whereas Hermia is probably going to go out on loan and then makes the match day squad and gets on. So there's all that sort of stuff in the background as well. Um, you know, other players, could we see somebody like Ellis Taylor going out on loan potentially? I know Harry Gardner's already gone, maybe Michael Spellman or something to the National League. Uh, but it will be interesting in terms of outgoings, I think, for Sunderland this uh, this um, winter window. Mm-hmm. Well, Beale did say that they probably wouldn't sanction any loan deals unless someone is brought in. For example, Hamir is not going to go out on loan if Sunderland aren't able to bring a, a striker in. So a very busy kind of few weeks coming up and next up for Sunderland it's another home game against Stoke um then they go away to Middlesbrough the following weekend but it goes without saying huge game this weekend isn't it at home back at the stadium of light and if Sunderland don't get a result again you fear that there's going to be a similar reaction to after the whole game no there, there absolutely will be I think this is a crucial couple of games coming up for Michael Beale as we mentioned at the top end of the podcast you know Stoke City at home given their fortunes over recent seasons. I know it's improved since Stephen Schumacher has come in. But if he loses against Stoke and Middlesbrough or has anything other than convincing wins, really, it's going to be very difficult because I think Sunderland fans need to see improvement in terms of the structure, in terms of the intensity, in terms of the game plan and results as well. That's the position he finds himself in. Sunderland need results and Sunderland fans also need to be shown that there's something there that they can get behind. Mm-hmm. And I think just in terms of the next two games as well, Stoke City, Middlesbrough, Stephen Schumacher, Michael Carrick, both highly rated coaches. And, you know, if they get one over on on Michael Beale, who's been perceived as this, you know, young up-and-comer, it's going to be very, very difficult for him again. So, yeah, all eyes in the next two games, really. Mm-hmm. We'll have more build-up to that game against Stoke at the Stadium of Light on Saturday. And if you like what we do here at the Raw Podcast, please consider uh, subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts on YouTube, on Spotify, uh, and giving us a review. We are also on Shots TV on Freeview Channel 276. So check us out on there. As I say, we'll have build-ups to that Stoke game and all the latest transfer news over on the SAFC section of the Sunland Echo website.